Friday, February 9th, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. i got Matt Norlander here with me. And since we last spoke on Wednesday afternoon, Villanova lost to St. John's at home. Purdue lost to Ohio State at home. Auburn lost to Texas A&M at home. Nevada lost to UNLV at home. And then Arizona on Thursday night lost to UCLA at home. Norlander, lots of upsets of home teams that are nationally ranked. Which one surprised you most? Arizona, of all of them, surprised me most particularly because of the style that they were playing or lack thereof, effort, lack thereof. This is really bizarre, Parrish, not just with Arizona, but what you mentioned. How many teams lost at home that were ranked, favored, some of them in very surprising fashion. Um, And bizarrely enough, as we'll get to, of course, we pick Duke on the road, and of course Duke loses. Arizona is in a weird situation here. Let me Give me the floor for just a minute here to talk about the Wildcats, and a thought on the Pac-12 before we get to the rest of the upsets here. See, Arizona got a little lucky. Uh, USC had no business losing at Arizona State late Thursday night. That was a super late tip. Shout out to the hardcores that would have been watching that game. I was certainly there. I have a little thing on the Pac-12 up at CBSSports.com right now if you'd like to read it. Arizona was vexing in how uh, lackluster it looked on the floor, and... I don't get how they were that bad at home coming off a deflating loss on the road in a competitive game against a Washington team that only scored 40 at Oregon. That team's resume is bizarre. And by the way, they've dropped from mid-80s to the low 90s. Has Washington and Ken Palm since then. UCLA got a good win. In fact, it got a win that I think was going to be necessary in order to establish its at-large case. The Bruins only get one opportunity in the regular season against Arizona. It was on the road. They go in. They steal it. That's obviously a really important win for UCLA. The the Pac-12 in the process has kind of been... Kind of been bizarre. And by the way, that's, I believe, the second straight win for UCLA at Arizona. Two years in a row they've been able to do this here. Uh, Arizona's got a one-game lead in the Pac-12. I uh, don't have a lot of confidence in them. None of the teams in this in this conference are looking Final Four type. I'm trying not to overreact to Arizona, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking back at what they did at Battle for Atlantis. I'm remembering what Sean Miller said in December when they had bounced back and were playing relatively well, and then he was saying, I can't get these guys to play hard for me. I'm thinking about what they've done as of late. They've got two tremendous players there, but it, at times it looked like UCLA was running through some you know, decently challenging practice. It wasn't even uh, the intensity of a game there with Arizona. It was, it was bizarre to see, and if Arizona's the best team in the Pac-12, which I guess it is, I guess, then it's just... It, further emphasizes how down the league is this season. Ranked 6 in Sagarin, 6 in Kempom, 6 in KPI, and USC lost a big opportunity. It's actually way further on the bubble than I think people realize USC is. UCLA's right around there. Washington's right around there. Arizona State really helped its case in a big way by stealing that game at home uh, last night. They're way back in the conference standings, but obviously that non-conference performance was huge. Arizona State has won two straight games for the first time since December 22nd. The last time they had won two in a row, they had won 12 in a row. They finally get that win. They're able to eke it out. I have no idea what to make of the Pac-12. I think the league is going to top out at four bids at large-wise. you got Oregon still in the mix. 
you know, Washington, UCLA, USC, they're all kind of there. Arizona State's probably the second most secure team right now. And at best, I think they're, I think they're a seven at best right now with this win. Um, so it's it's funky. Uh, GP, if you want to go back with Arizona, by all means, I just, it's it's a weird team, man. Like I, this is this is just, it's not what I thought it was going to be when it got to league play. And I understand they're still nine and three. That's relatively good, but their lack of defensive. Uh, want to was bizarre. And DeAndre Ayton, by the way, got swatted at one point. I don't even know the dude's name. I don't know if you saw that play or not, but the guy was like 6'9", and he like out-muscled DeAndre Ayton and, and actually blocked his shot. It was uh, it was a weird performance, and now Arizona's staring at a, a home game against USC. The loser of that game on Saturday is going to be facing a three-game losing streak, and that's obviously going to be disastrous for either program. Obviously, Arizona's talented. We've known that since uh, the recruiting class was signed and enrolled um they went through a stretch after battle for atlantis where they won 16 of 17 but here's the thing they didn't really get much done uh, of the 16 wins in that stretch only two were against top 50 ken palm opponents and that's the only um only top 50 wins they have right now according to ken palm uh, they beat texas a&m in phoenix by three points and that's a texas a&m team that's okay but not great and uh, then they beat Arizona State at home by six. And outside of that, it's just a bunch of wins over mediocre teams. They got Alabama at home. That's fine. But, you know, it's just a home win over a sub-50 team. Right now, Arizona is 2-2 two and two against the top 50 with four sub-50 losses. Those losses are to NC State on a, ne- a neutral, to SMU on a neutral, at Colorado, and at Washington. The resume is not very good. The team might be, although they're terrible defensively, the team might end up being good. But the resume right now is not good. And it's why I don't have them in the top 25 and one as of Friday morning. The team that I've got 26, if you just want to compare resumes, uh, Florida State, Florida State, six and four against top 50 Ken Palm teams with only three sub 50 losses. So I'm not even trying to tell you that's great. I'm just telling you it's better than what Arizona has done. And, um, you know, this lack of avoiding bad losses combined with the lack of opportunities the Pac-12 is going to present them to get quality wins is going to cost them on Selection Sunday. Like, they might have a team from a talent perspective that, you know, could have theoretically been a one seed or two seed. I don't think they can get a one seed or a two seed now based on um, they've taken some bad losses and they're just not going to have opportunities to get the good wins. Last night was at least an opportunity to add a, a top 50 win because UCLA is is a top 50 at Ken Palm. But, um, they lost it. And it's not even like, I mean, they, they, they were behind that entire game. Like it was not even like UCLA, you know, it wasn't fluky. Like UCLA beat them for 40 minutes. And so, um, you know, Sean is, has questioned this team in the past and whatever questions he was asking, I'm sure he still hadn't got an answer for him because, um, they're right now. They're just not very good. Yeah. Why wide lens on the, on the PAC 12 is this, uh, you're right about Arizona's resume and we are likely headed for a scenario where the Pac-12 regular season champion and or tournament champion probably has a ceiling, a ceiling, I think, of a five seed, which is uh, not a good sign if you're a, if you're, you know, a power conference in college basketball. Um, that won't be true of any other major seven conference, obviously the American included, because Cincinnati is uh, still in the mix for a one seed at this point. Arizona still has it's got the home game against USC on Saturday. And then it's got to turn around and play at Arizona State. It's got to go to Oregon State. Yes, it should win that game, but it's in the midst of a three-game roadie and then go to Oregon. So the next four games, 
I don't see Arizona getting through uh, with four straight wins. And another loss on top of that, seven losses on top of the lack of, to- of top 50 slash quadrant one victories that Arizona is going to have. If we want to say Arizona is the best team in the Pac-12 and it's going to finish the regular season atop the standings, totally fair, totally reasonable to say. I'm just giving a heads up to the West Coast listeners here that could be aware of this. You are going to have the Pac-12 shut out Quite, reason, quite reasonably and rationally of geographic protection. Remember, if you're a one, two, three, or four seed, the committee tries to put you in the first weekend and the second weekend uh, that would give you the, uh, the friendliest travel path, not just for travel's sake, but also your fan base's sake, in order to give you just a little bit of an edge there because, quite frankly, you've earned it if you're a top four seed. I don't think Arizona is going to wind up there, and I don't think Arizona State, unless it completely just flips and last night turns into a massive winning streak, I don't think Arizona State's going to be able to do enough to get to that line either. So that's the that's the big picture coming down the road for the Pac-12. Obviously, it's an issue for the conference. Obviously, they didn't think Arizona would be this up and down. And obviously, they expected a, a better situation than, than four teams, maybe five. I think they'll top out at five. But, um, but it was... It was certainly alarming to see Arizona play the way that it did, given the talent it has. It has no business putting on that kind of performance at home against a UCLA team that hasn't shown itself to be nearly as good over the the entirety of the season as Arizona. Yeah, and you know Arizona, again, just two top 50 wins, and they've got nothing done away from home either. As long as you're not considering playing Texas A&M in Phoenix away from home, they – uh, I think their best road win is probably at Utah or at UNLV, and obviously that doesn't mean much either. It's just it could be a great team by the time the NCAA tournament gets here, but they're not going to have opportunities now to show it consistently. And uh, like I said, it's going to cost them on Selection Sunday. They're not going to get a seed that correlates with their talent. When I asked you for the biggest surprise of all those teams losing at home uh, over the past, like I guess it'd be th- two nights, so it was Wednesday and Thursday night, I thought for sure you'd start with Villanova because Villanova was ranked number one in the country, seemed like uh, the most reliable team in the country, and then they get knocked off at home by a St. John's team that has done something um, just incredible. Um, it start 0-11 in the Big East, be on an 11-game losing streak, then go beat the preseason number one, and then uh, I guess it was five nights later, beat the current number one uh, Villanova, and similarly to what I said about UCLA and Arizona, uh, there was nothing really fluky about St. John's. They like, they just they beat Villanova, you know, start to finish. They handled them, and though Villanova tried to get back in it late, actually did get back in it late. St. John's was giving the ball away, like St. John's sometimes does. That's how you get to zero and eleven in the Big East. Um, ultimately, they they couldn't make enough plays. Omari Spellman missed a. Shot I don't know that he should have taken. Jalen Brunson wasn't able to to get to the rim consistently. Probably should have uh, tried to get there on either that last possession or next to last possession. Instead, they settled for a jumper. Um, just a bad performance. I guess if you're trying to to you know frame it properly, it, it's worth noting that Villanova's down two of its top six scores. So you know that takes a toll at some point. But uh, you don't expect Villanova to lose at home ever. You surely didn't expect them to lose to a team that. Again, started 0 and 11 in the Big East. Yeah, no, I'll be. I'll just be totally honest. I wanted to uh, switch it up and, and surprise the listeners by leading with the Pac-12. We don't uh, often do that on the podcast. Uh, unquestionably, Villanova. I knew we were going to get to Villanova because we should. The St. John's thing is is weird as f, man. <laughs> like I, I, I'm fascinated by it and. Um, 
you know, Chris Mullen has responded to landing on my hot seat uh, column by <laughs> putting together two just incredible wins. Absolutely think that the Villanova win was better than the Duke win because on the road, Villanova is better than Duke this season. And after a win like Duke, you would have half expected St. John's to lose by 25. Like, you get a great win, and then nobody thinks you're going to do anything against the best team in your league when you haven't won a league game. You're able to do it. My general – just a a thought on St. John's here is that uh, Mullen – there is still doubt that the program can get to NCAA tournament qualification status under his watch. That's just something that's out there, and we'll see. The wins like this obviously give the fan base hope. It injects the St. John's fan base, which has been just thirsty for years to just be a consistent team that's hanging even in that four to six range in the Big East for like a four or five year stretch. It just has not been able to do that. It's still not doing that, but the, this two game run here qualifies as the weirdest turn of events in a very unusual, weird season in all of college basketball. Uh, St. John's has Marquette at home on Saturday. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting St. John's to win the game at this point. Like legitimately think that they are going to win the game. It is a, uh, it's, it's great to see them do what they've done here. Shamari Pons, he's a sophomore. Last season, he was in and out near that top 10 on the Frost Watch. Like, he was a really good player. They don't even have Marcus Lovett available to them now. So I will give St. John's credit. They've had some close losses. They've played competitively, and it has clearly manifested itself in a huge way. With Villanova, I don't think that this loss right now – I haven't seen Palm's latest bracket as we record this podcast, GP. I think it's up uh, now, but I would still have Nova on the one line. And you they... should. There is no intelligent way to not have Villanova as a one seed right now, even with that loss. Yeah, I agree. And I think it won't have an effect on their resume as long as they don't take one more bad loss. And they don't really have either one more bad loss or they accrue a lot. And we don't think either of those things is going to happen because the only opportunity they have left – uh, opportunities is against DePaul and Georgetown at home. I mean, I guess if St. John's can beat you, uh, potentially Georgetown could. It's hard to envision that. But I will say this. Like, now that they've lost to St. John's, if Villanova lost to either DePaul or Georgetown at home this regular season or it got bumped in its first Big East tournament game and combine that with, say, two more losses between now and then, then you'd have a case. But you look at the totality of Villanova's resume – I'm not concerned about Villanova making a Final Four. I'm not concerned about it being on the one line. Um, they did not have, obviously, Phil Booth. They didn't have Eric Pascal. Pascal's crazy underrated, and there's a lot of why this team is so is so good because he can, he can play um, sort of inside and out. It's a great compliment to Amari Spellman, who took a rushed bad three-pointer and had Spellman kind of waited for Brunson to continue to make a play there. Maybe Villanova wins. We're not even having this conversation, so... Uh, obviously, no overreaction to what Villanova is doing here. It was a it was a freaky outcome, kind of good for the Big East. Give St. John's a little bit of of, uh, of pub, and then not really hurt Villanova's overall standing. If 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 Nova struggles against Butler this week and they play them Saturday, then maybe we readdress this on Sunday. But I'm not expecting that to be the case. They're still good. Let them get healthy. When healthy, they're the best team in college basketball. So I was in studio, CBS Sports Network, on Wednesday night. We had that game on our air, so that was that was big for the network. And we were with our um, researchers, and shout to the researchers. They, I believe the stat they came up with, maybe it's not a stat as much as it's a fact, no team that had ever lost history college basketball 
10 or more games in a row had snapped their losing streak by beating consecutive top five teams yeah. that had, that had never happened. And, and it is what happened um, with, with St. John's as for Villanova, like you said, like I said, uh, they're down two of their top six scores. Like that takes a toll. And so you'd, you'd rather not lose home games ever. Certainly not home games to, to bad teams, but it happened. And I still think they've got a resume that is clearly, clearly one seed worthy. I've got them ranked second right now in the CBS Sports Top 25 and 1 heading into the weekend, only behind uh, Virginia, which I think as long as they are able to handle Virginia Tech at, at home this weekend, um, I don't know if they will be, but they should be the unanimous number one in the AP poll and coaches poll on Monday. There's really, again, as long as Virginia wins this weekend, there's no way to – if you're looking at bodies of work, resumes, however you want to describe it, there's no way to conclude anything other than than Virginia should be the, the, the number one team in the country. Anybody who wouldn't vote for Virginia under these circumstances might find themselves victim of a poll tax column on Monday afternoon. The, I, I listed five upsets of teams that nationally ranked teams at home at the top of this. Uh, Arizona losing at home to UCLA, we've discussed. Villanova losing at home to St. John's, we've discussed. Auburn lost at home to Texas A&M. We've talked enough about Auburn on this podcast in the past. It's just a loss, uh, surprising, disappointing for Bruce Pearl, but whatever. Nevada lost to UNLV at home. That was surprising, but Nevada was also playing without its best player leading score. Like that, that clearly mattered. If if he plays, they they probably avoid that. I believe the stat I saw was not a stat again, a fact. Somebody tweeted that Villanova, Purdue, uh, Auburn, and Nevada entered Wednesday night combined 46 and 0 at home this season and then they all lost, lost it at, oh my god and they all lost at home and so like I said we talked about Auburn enough Nevada it's just they were missing their best player you know you're susceptible to that kind of thing the one the other game is the one I want to focus on now and that was Purdue losing at home to Ohio State because though Ohio State has been very good and is ranked in the top 20 they were like an 11 point underdog at Purdue and with the way Purdue had been playing for a couple months now, you just didn't expect that. Um, and now you go into uh, the weekend, you look at the Big Ten standings, and as long as Ohio State can handle uh, Iowa, I guess it's who they're playing on Saturday, and if Michigan State beats Purdue at the Breslin Center, which is likely, I, I think Michigan State will at least be favored in that game, then guess who's going to be in sole possession of first place? In the Big Ten standings, the gangster Chris Holtman, gangster Chris Holtman, uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes would be alone in first place in the Big Ten standings come Saturday night, and it is just remarkable. And we've touched on it before, but it's worth framing again. He only got this job because Gene Smith, the athletic director, determined in June that there was no real reasonable hope that Ohio State was going to be good this year, and he had already decided that if Ohio State had another bad year under Thad Mata, that they were going to remove Thad Mata at the end of the 2017-18 season. So the thought process was, if I know I'm going to change coaches if we're not good, and I'm looking at things, and it, there's no evidence to suggest we're going to be good, let's just change coaches now and get on with it and not miss out on a recruiting class. And though I hated it for Thad, um, because he did some amazing things at Ohio State, took him to a championship game, of course, um, if you could remove the emotion from it and sort of the 
heartlessness from it, it uh, it was it was it was a smart decision. And I don't I mean it was a smart decision, um, independent of of how it's going with Chris right now. It was just like I understood the logic behind it. If we're going to make a change next March, if we're not good, and there's no reason to think we're going to be good, let's make the change now. That makes sense to me. Um, so they make the change in June, and Ohio State's then picked 11th in the preseason Big Ten poll. And come Saturday night, if their game goes the way it's supposed to go, and the Michigan State-Purdue game goes the way it's supposed to go, Ohio State's going to be alone in first in the Big Ten. It's incredible. Holman's got to be. And I realize we talk about this like once a week, and our answers change about every week. But at this moment, you'd have to vote Holman National Coach of the Year, wouldn't you? Uh, if the season ended right now, yes. Yeah. I absolutely, yeah. He'd be he'd be the winner for me, and let's let's put this in context here. With uh, with everything that you said, not just that, but um, you know, Holtman said that his back like Andrew Dockich was going to Quinnipiac, and he was the safety valve prayer last second transfer that they got to come on back to the Big Ten. Uh, Dockich has previously been at Michigan, and see if they could salvage Ohio State's backcourt. And I talked to Holtman before the Purdue game, like a few hours before the Purdue game. Um, and we, t- we talked about some stuff that I'll have in a piece with him and some other teams on Monday. We'll get into more of that and the teams they're in, I think, on, on that podcast. But I said, listen, you know, if you, w- if you beat Purdue tonight, I'm going to have to write about it. So I don't want to have to bother you after that. So let's just talk about what this team's done and what you would need to do to beat Purdue and all this. And he said, listen, you know, we've game planned for this. I'm... I really hope we can win. This is insanely tough. Purdue, this is the best Purdue team, he told me. Absolutely can win a national championship. I've seen some good Purdue teams in the past. Um, no team that Painter has ever had is as well-rounded and as lethal as this one. So he was not certainly expecting to win that game, nor should he. Like, hopeful. Game plan, yes, we can do it if everything goes right. But he said we're going to have to have our most efficient game, and they're going to have to miss a ton of shots. And for Ohio State to go in to that arena – which looks like a freaking party. I have to get to Mackey. That that joint is insanely fun. At least it comes I've, across as one of the best there. environments in all of college basketball on TV, right? I've been there. It's terrific. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing. And so right now, and actually as a, as a quick tangent, yes, the Big Ten's down. I, I got no interest in putting that on the shoulders of Ohio State and Holtman that because the Big Ten is down, it diminishes what he has done here. Almost any other coach that was given the situation he was given would not have Ohio State at this at this juncture at twenty one and five, trying to knock on the door and break it into the top ten of the polls, and yeah, in position potentially, uh, depending on what goes here. I mean, they, they, a four seed is not out of reach right now. We're not not by any means. It is remarkable. Like Kata Bates Geop has been terrific. He's certainly under consideration for all American teams, first, second, or third, depending on how the rest of the season goes. And this has been a surprise to pretty much everyone. And yes, Ohio State is absolutely one of the best stories, if not the best story in college basketball this season. And it is, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do come March. And if this is, if this is just a case where they had a good season, got a good seed, got bounced, first or second game in the tournament, that'll sting. But you know what? Like, all told, this has gone way better than anyone expected. And, yes, it is absolutely, even though you want to run with this and try and make a second weekend and in your wildest dreams try and turn this into a Final Four season, it is a house money situation right now for the Buckeyes. Holtman's 
ridiculous. I, I just I can't believe that he's done what he's been able to do here. And uh, they got Iowa on Saturday. That's a home game. The Buckeyes should win that. And then uh, after that, three of their final four are on the road. There will be some slips coming. They're going to lose. It doesn't take away what he's been able to do. 21 wins, honestly, is probably six or seven more than Ohio State fans thought they'd end up with at the end of the season. What's remarkable is this is the second time Chris Holtman's done this. Everybody remembers Brad Stevens had it rolling at Butler, and he did. But there was a coach in between Brad Stevens and Chris Holtman. His name was Brandon Miller. And um, in his final year um, as Butler's coach, before he took a leave of absence and subsequently resigned, they were 4-14 and in the Big East. 14-16 and overall, 4-14 and in the Big East. And then Brandon takes a leave of absence. Chris Holtman takes over. At a weird time, like, I think that one was actually, like, at Ohio State, he took over in June, which is a weird time in the calendar. But at Butler, I think it was way closer to the start of the season. And ultimately told, um, I don't know if he was told explicitly, but it was essentially, hey, you've got the job on an interim basis. Do well, and maybe you can keep it. Don't do well, and we'll, we'll launch a national coaching search in March. A lot of pressure. Like, his whole career is in the balance, and his whole career is in the balance with a team that's not supposed to be good. Like this Ohio State team wasn't supposed to be good. And Chris took that and went 23-11, and 12-6 and six, um, in the Big East, and advanced to round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. Uh, 2016, his second year there, round of 32, NCAA tournament. Last year, his third season and final season, of course, uh, at, at, at Butler, uh, goes to the Sweet 16, then takes the Ohio State job, inherits what's supposed to be on paper a bad situation, and he's got it just rocking and rolling um, already. Yeah, there are other good candidates, reasonable candidates, valid candidates for National Coach of the Year. Um, but if I had to put my la- my list together right now, Chris Holtman would be, um, he'd be at the top of it. Let's talk about one more game that's happened since last time we spoke before uh, we look ahead a little bit to the weekend. And that was uh, last night in Chapel Hill, um, Duke lost at North Carolina. Um, that was clearly the way it was going to go. Once you and I on this podcast Wednesday, oh, yeah. uh, pre- pre- both predicted that Duke would win at North Carolina. There was a basically a zero percent chance after that they would actually do it, and they lost. But they were up double digits in the first half and just couldn't get enough stops in the second half and couldn't score enough in the second half either um, to steal a win on the road. Grayson Allen finished in single digits scoring for I believe the sixth time in, in his past ten games, so he's clearly. Um, now for a good chunk of the season, just not been himself. What did you make of North Carolina's victory over Duke? It looked like North Carolina took advantage of its home floor. That crowd was pretty into it. It was a fun game to watch. The game was done in an hour and 53, maybe an hour 52 minutes. A really fast watch, too. Carolina looked final four good in that second half. Obviously, Duke's defensive issues, which it cannot conquer and will not conquer this season, it's going to be the thing that gets this team either that or Grayson being the way that he is. A combination of that is going to be what ends Duke's uh, season in the tournament. Uh, I, I will not pick this team to win the national championship because I cannot trust them to get six great games uh, defensively and six great games from Grayson Allen. And uh, if they won't need six, they'll need at least four. And even that seems like a, a tall task for, uh, for Duke right now. Carolina, let's just give them some credit here. UNC fans, they're a little, I think they're a little bit here and there with this team. You know, you've made the national championship the past two seasons. You're the reigning national champs right now. And you've had, like, an okay season. You know, you were brutal I think back to how bad they looked when I was watching that game in Portland against Michigan State, the worst offensive output in the history of the program. That was followed up 
what, a month later, right, with the Wofford loss? I feel like the Wofford loss was, like, right, like four days before Christmas or something. And uh, and so that was that was disappointing. And then they've had they've had some some bumps here and there. They, they lost to Virginia Tech. They dropped a home game against NC State. And so the resume overall, I mean, it's, it's okay. But, I, I mean, if they had lost last night, and when you look at what's still coming ahead with some road games, I think UNC fans are aware of the fact that like a seven or eight seed was very much a possibility with with North Carolina, given how many losses it had, it had accrued. And so to get that, I think it'll be enough. They'll get enough wins. They'll do well enough in the ACC tournament that they're going to be anywhere from a four to a six, I think, uh, when it's all said and done. And by the way, that's that's okay, given how much you lost last season. Um, it's that's perfectly fine. I have to give some love to Theo Pinson. I have maintained for three years now that when he is on the floor, and particularly last season when he wasn't as much of a meaningful player, like there is just something about his presence on the floor that makes UNC better. You were really seeing a lot of that last night, um, and he doesn't even need to score. Like He doesn't need to, get, need to get in double digits. He can do things that like Grayson Allen can't quite do if you want to just go with the Duke-UNC comparison. Um, if you know Duke needs Grayson to be... Uh, a presence on offense and doing a lot of things uh, within the movement of that scheme and scoring in order to have its best chance to win. Theo Pinson can put up seven points and it can still do nine other things and it will be the difference in North Carolina winning a game right now. So I'm still not like I'm not in on UNC being a top 10 team. I'm not in on UNC being a team that I think I will have even remotely considered to put into the final four this season, but they're having a nice year. That was a really entertaining game and you know, even though Duke held a big lead at one point and Carolina came back, it was a four-point outcome. At by the game, by the end of the game, it felt like UNC had won by double digits. Impressive win, obviously. We'll see if Duke can return serve on as it always is the regular season finale. That game is at Cameron Saturday, March third. If you're looking for tickets uh, for anything, SeatGeek is the place to look. It's where I look. It's where Matt Norlander looks. It's where um, I went just the other day to look to for concert t- tickets for a friend of mine. Buddy said, "Hey, can you help me with concert tickets?" Because uh, for whatever reason, people think because I work in the media, I have just free tickets to everything lying around. I said, let me look for you. Uh, I'll make a phone call. And I didn't make a phone call. I just went to my SeatGeek app. Um, I found tickets in a matter of seconds. Two clicks later, I was buying the actual tickets. That's all it takes. Two clicks and you are purchasing tickets. And if you use the promo code when you do that, College BB, promo code College BB, you're going to get uh, 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. So make sure to do that. It's really as simple as I described. It's the best way to find the best seats at the best prices because it searches multiple ticket sites for you. And everything is always fully guaranteed, fully guaranteed. So if you want to save time and money, uh, you're going to do what I do. When I'm looking for concert tickets, basketball tickets, football tickets, anything, I go to SeatGeek. You should too. And remember, that promo code is CollegeBB. That's College BB. You're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase when you use promo code COLLEGEBB. So next time you're looking for tickets to a basketball game, NBA or college, tickets to a concert, tickets to a play, tickets to anything, do what I do. Every time one of my idiot friends asks me for a favor with tickets, I go to SeatGeek. You should too. That's SeatGeek. Get the app if you don't have it. It's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. So there's three games I want to talk about briefly uh, that are scheduled for Saturday. And the first one is is the biggest one. It's Purdue at Michigan State. That's number three, Purdue at number four, Michigan State. We touched on it briefly earlier when discussing Purdue, Ohio State. Breaks down like this. If Michigan State wins at home, Purdue takes its 
uh, second Big Ten loss. Michigan State will be sitting there as well with two Big Ten losses. And as long as Ohio State wins uh, when it plays Iowa, and it should because it will be a, a big favorite in that game, it's, it's going to be played in Columbus, um, then Ohio State will find itself, at least in the Big Ten standings, ahead of both Purdue and Michigan State. Who wins it Saturday, Purdue at Michigan State? Are we going to agree on this or what? Um... Probably. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Uh, I'm gonna take Sparty uh, home floor. They're good. They they have they have played pretty well here as of late as well. Um, haven't lost since January 13th against Michigan, and I'm gonna trust that they're gonna have they're gonna show up defensively for this. I think they're gonna have a a really good performance. It's got a potential of being a really good game, and this is the marquee game in the conference. There's no doubt about it. Um, it's a four o'clock tip on Saturday. I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that Purdue is going to start off hot, and the, and they'll be effective, and and it will be worth the watch. This is the only time these teams are scheduled to meet this season. Perhaps, and it'd be great. Perhaps we get a rematch in the Big Ten tournament. I'll be in. Why would do that, by the way? Why would they schedule in that way? Is there an actual reason, or they just screwed this up? There's definitely a reason, and uh, it would have to do with I think they cycle through certain opponents in certain years, and similar uh, to how Arizona. I mean, we touched on this in the off season. Arizona and UCLA, the Pac-12 has a cycle in place for the next X number of years. So the dumb cycle. School, I know it is. It is, but that's just what they have done. Like they could change it in theory. But they, but they don't. So this ha- this happened to be a year where Michigan State and Purdue are at the top of the league, and they're only scheduled to play once, which is unfortunate. I hope I get to see these two teams play each other at Madison Square Garden in the Big Ten tournament in early March. I'm taking Sparty. Who are you taking? Yeah, Michigan State as well. I mean, if we were congratulations, playing, congratulations, the- Purdue. Yeah, congratulations to Matt Painter, um, who is uh, always and forever on our list of National Coach of the Year candidates. You have just secured a victory over Michigan State on the road on Saturday because. Uh, the hit rate for Norlander and I both predicting the same winner in a high-profile game is um, 10% if that. It's not good. It's not good. So congratulations to Purdue. Yeah, I will take Michigan State. Close game, but at the Breslin Center, um, I think they're honoring Judd Heathcote. So, like, you know, that kind of emotion will be there for whatever that's worth. It's a big game. It didn't need any extra emotion, but, like, that'll be in the building. And so, um, yeah, I think Michigan State wins at home. Um, but but a close game, and, and I was obviously will not be surprised if Purdue uh, somehow steals it on the road because at this point we shouldn't be surprised by um, by anything Purdue does. Uh, Kentucky at Texas A&M, that's scheduled for 8.15 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be on ESPN, uh, like we talked about on the last podcast. Kentucky's on a two-game losing streak right now. Next two games are on the road. Uh, I believe they're going to be an underdog in this one. Uh, can John Calipari... Uh, Snap this two-game losing streak? I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to take Texas A&M at home. A&M did itself some nice resume boosting by winning at Auburn. And if you are able to beat Kentucky, avenge the previous loss, and split with the Wildcats, uh, certainly the Aggies are going to be on the better side of the bubble uh, with a victory there. I'll take them. I actually like the way that A&M's talent matches up with Kentucky. Uh, You'll recall that that was actually a really close game uh, decided by a bucket, I believe, back uh, back in early January. So I'll I'll take I'll take A and M. This is a this is a late tip. This is an 8:15 tip on Saturday. Kentucky with a loss here, three straight. 
hasn't happened. Obviously, we uh, in in a decade plus, as we addressed on the on the previous podcast as well, and went into went into depth on that. But I think that's what, that's what they're going to be staring at, and they're going to be staring at a loss here, and then they're going to have Auburn on the road after that next Wednesday. Give me the Aggies, seventy nine, seventy three. Yeah, they're clearly capable, and they'll forever be capable in these road games because we've watched them do something even more impressive than what we're asking them to do already. Uh, we watched them win at West Virginia. If you can win at West Virginia, you can win at, in theory, Texas A&M. You can win at Auburn. You can win at Arkansas. You can win at Florida. Those are their remaining road games. But they're going to be underdogs in every one of those games, and they're going to be an underdog on Saturday. And, yeah, I don't I don't think they're going to win. At Texas A&M, I've got back in the top 25 and one. If you'd have asked me two weeks ago if that would ever happen, I'd say probably not. But after they won at Auburn on Wednesday night and – Nevada lost, somebody else lost. So I needed two new teams, I believe, for the top 25 and one. And I was like, well, let me look at Texas A&M because their, their Kimpom number is strong and has always been strong, even when the resume wasn't actually good. But um, the resume right now, like it's, it's at least in my opinion, one of the top 26 in the country. And so that team has um, turned it around a little bit. They obviously have a bunch of losses, I think um, eight in total. But in three of those eight losses, they were literally missing two starters. They were down two starters in three of their eight losses. So when healthy and and not suspended, um, it's a different basketball team. And I think you combine that fact with the fact that they're at home. Um, I will take Texas a- t- a- over Kentucky. I don't, uh, I don't think they'll blow them out, uh, but I do think they'll win it. Something like uh, 73-68 makes sense to me. I think Texas A&M wins at home, so you do too. Congratulations, Kentucky. You have just secured a victory over the Aggies at home because Norlander and I both uh, – over the Aggies on the row because Norlander and I have both picked Texas A&M, and we are never right about this kind of stuff. Last game, 10 p.m. Eastern tip. So you can either stay up and watch it or wake up in the middle of the night and see who won. It's number 12, Gonzaga, at number 11, St. Mary's ESPN2. Obviously, these teams have met at the kennel earlier this season, and St. Mary's, um, surprisingly, was able to win there. Not because it's a surprise because St. Mary's isn't very good. I think St. Mary's is good, but you just don't expect Gonzaga to lose at the kennel ever, particularly a Gonzaga team that um, that is rock solid. Uh, can Gonzaga get the, even that regular season series? You think Gonzaga gets a road win? Hold on. Two things here. One, three things. One, we're up against it, so we got to wrap up this podcast in just a few minutes here. Two, there are so many people that are listening to this podcast that were at the gym or on a run that were convinced that their podcast just got interrupted by a phone call. I heard that. We're just going to pretend that didn't happen, GP. Your phone is ringing. My wife tried to FaceTime me, and it came through my computer. I didn't know if you could hear it or not. I didn't know if it came through. It's okay. It came through. You just duped everyone listening to this podcast, which was awesome. Three, before I get to this game, it is very good. I want to just note that there are a lot of teams on Saturday. Saturday is a – it's not overloaded with high-profile games here and there, but there are a lot of teams that are facing tough road tests that are either right there in, like, the, that just mass of, of, a, of a big bubble situation right now, and then other teams like Xavier. If it wants to stay in the one seed conversation, it plays at Creighton 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday – that's a game that I'm going to be very interested to watch because Creighton can definitely win that game, and I think it's got a potential of being a top three game, top three watch of the of the season overall. Just keep an eye on that. Like Auburn should win at Georgia, but it's a road game, so we'll see what it can do with there. Tennessee has been good, but it's playing a desperate Alabama team. What can it do? Florida State, it's on the come here, GP. 
goes to Notre Dame. Can it handle that that tough road test, Marquette? You tell me about Florida State. I got Florida State in the top twenty-five and one right now. Yeah, I know they're doing well, but one game after another, after another, after another with these teams. We mentioned Marquette. It's kind of right there. It swept Sweeten Hall. Now it has to go play St. John's. Can it pull that out? Texas is. What do you mean? Can they pull it out? They got two Devin Downies. <laughs> that I mean. That's been uh, that's been helpful sometimes, but one, I once watched a team with one Devin Downey beat Kentucky when Kentucky was ranked number one in the country back in uh, 2010. So you telling me a team with two Devin Downies can't handle St. John's? Get out of my face with that nonsense! I'm telling you, Marcus Howard ain't Devin Downey. That's all I'm saying. Okay, and yeah, they, they're both. Li- hey, listen, nobody's Devin Downey. I don't ever want right, this. So you need to stop besmirching the legacy of Devin Downey by keeping injecting his name into that Marquette duo. They're good. They got two half Devin Downies. That equals one Devin Downey. I might be willing to, to agree to that. You act like January 26, 2010 didn't even happen. I do. Actually, no, I don't. I, well, <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit. Um, USC, UCLA on the road. Oklahoma should win at Iowa State. Still on the road. Keep an eye on that. You can go down the list, man. There are just one game after. Boise State, fringe bubble team, on the road. So what's going to happen here is a lot of Washington needs to beat Oregon State, but the way it played against Oregon – Who's to say, right? One game after another, after another, after another. There's a lot of teams with interesting road situations. A lot of resumes are going to take bad dings this weekend. The big victors are going to be the, the teams that aren't expected to win on the road and do, and that either will help their chase toward a really, really good seed or, in a lot of cases, will give them a temporary leg up in the bubble. As for St. Mary's Gonzaga, baller game. Baller game, I'm I'm taking Gonzaga on the road here, GP. Uh, St. Mary's is, is absolutely rolling. Obviously, it stole that game uh, previously. That was when I was up in uh, in VT. So I actually did not even see that St. Mary's-Gonzaga game. I can't even tell you how it played out. All I know is St. Mary's won 74-71 in Gonzaga's house. It's good for this league when these teams are both really, really good and able to defeat each other. Give me the Bulldogs to go in to steal this. And in the process, that would snap a 19-game winning streak for St. Mary's. GP, if you said this, I was not listening to you, but I think that's got to be the longest win streak right now in college basketball, right? It's either that or it's it's either St. Mary's or it's Cincinnati, which I think is at 17. Um, but I think it's going to snap. And when that happens, or if it does happen, St. Mary's is still going to be in the tournament picture, but it's going to have games at San Francisco and Portland and I think if St. Mary's lost one more game, even though it would only be four losses, they did, uh, per usual, they did not schedule well in the non-conference. Could come back to bite them. Huge game for St. Mary's. A sweep of Gonzaga would get them to borderline lock status overall. I'll take the Bulldogs. Are you going to go with me? Or are we going to Are we going to split this? I'm going to go with you. Oh, gosh. We're going to do the Zags on the road, both of us. So that means that means St. Mary's has just won. They just won. <laughs> what an amazing victory for Randy Bennett. You could, you could have picked St. Mary's so easily. but By the way, this is why uh, people never win betting on sports, because we, we, we think the same way for a reason, and yet we're always wrong. Like, I really do think if you could ever get to a place gambling on sports where you really just said, okay, this is what I think. Now I'm going to bet the opposite. And don't, like, mind trick yourself. Right. But, like, hey, I really do feel great about Arizona at home. I, I, like, I can show you the text message. I, gotta, I get a buddy, like, five minutes before tip-off. He's like, hey, what do you think about this Arizona-UCLA game? <laughs> I said, I think Arizona's going to blow them out. He's like, what do you mean blow them out? Like, they're laying nine. I was like, yeah, I'd lay nine. I think they're going to win by 20. He's like, you think they're going to beat UCLA by 20? Does UCLA suck? I said, UCLA's okay. But, like, Arizona, like, in that building – you know, they, they're coming off a loss. 
Like, yeah, they're going to beat him by 20. I was like, Max bet it. I actually texted him, Max oh bet it. Oh, my God, Parrish. What are you doing? So then, so then he texts me back. He's like, yo, it's halftime. He's like, yo, I thought I thought Arizona was going to win by 20. They're down by like 10 or whatever they were. I said, dude, does your site have a second half line? He said, yeah. I said, what is it? He said, eight and a half. I said, so now Arizona can still lose by one and you get it? He said, yeah. Max bet that then. Bad night. I went, then I went to sleep. I woke up and he had all these text messages. He's like, dude, <laughs> what are you talking? He's like, Arizona sucks. <laughs> DeAndre Ayton sucks. He hated DeAndre Ayton, hated the uh, Arizona, hated Sean Miller. And so, um, but like, it was so clear to me, Arizona was going to handle him. And then they didn't. So that's like, that's the deal. It's clear to me that Gonzaga is not going to lose twice in a row, twice in a row to St. Mary's, except they will. They almost certainly will. It's incredible. <sighs> Let's go talk to each other on a conference call. <laughs> we have talked. This will be the third time we've talked to each other today. We talked on. Uh, I hosted for CBS Sports Radio uh, from nine to noon Eastern. Had Norlander on as a guest. Thank you for doing that, by the way. Yeah, no, it's it's always it's it's the same, but it's different doing a radio hit with you. We it's our our cadence and our stuff is different, so I always like mixing it up like that. Sure, and then um, of course we just did this podcast, and now we will go get on a conference call and um, complain about people we work with behind their backs. Um, I mean, I don't have any intentions of doing that, but sure, by all means, the floor is yours. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, the legend. And remember, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Rate it favorably. And by favorably, I don't mean like four stars is favorably. I mean, technically it is, but that's not what we're after. We, we are a five-star podcast. We expect to be um, rated that way. So please, um, if you got 30 seconds, it would help us out. We'll talk for an hour if you'll just take 30 seconds. And, uh, and go give us a five-star review and uh, write nice comments. That's all we ask. We will talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care. <laughs>